Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Wow, lovely to be here. Thank you for having me this morning. And um, what a crazy bunch. <laughs> what a crazy bunch. I think there's a few people that might need a consultation. <laughs> Soy sauce, wherever you are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, look, so, um, yeah, as, as you've introduced me, thank you. I can be found most days sitting across the room from all kinds of people and um, really sorting out problems of the mind, the will, and emotions. And um, it's a fascinating job, but it's actually a job that I never meant to fall into. So let me just introduce myself a little bit to you so you can get used to me before I talk to you about soul health. Um, I actually grew up as a pastor's kid, and I thought growing up that perhaps I would be a pastor when I, when I grew up too. And then I decided, no, I didn't want to do that. Maybe I could be a photographer, because I quite like photography. But you know what? As I was growing up, and to be honest, I grew up in an environment where there were a lot of people around me that had mental health issues. And as a child growing up in this environment, significant mental health issues, it became something that was very confusing to me and it was um, also very complicated, it seemed. And I, and I thought the whole goal was to perhaps pretend that that wasn't happening and to run, when I got an opportunity to, as far, far away from mental health issues as I possibly could and never think about it again. So I certainly didn't plan on becoming a clinical psychologist. and. Um, yeah, I was really happy to not have complexity or confusion in my life um, after my upbringing. But clearly something changed along the way. And actually what I, I did find is that for whatever reason, in finding my why, I discovered that there were a few tricks that I'd learned along the way growing up that made me really interested in how the brain worked, it's a little bit nerdy. <laughs> but in particular, I guess mental health issues can be a little bit like solving, you know those big 5,000 piece puzzles that you do? And you sort of got to throw all the pieces on the coffee table and then sort of try and put it together. There was something about that that really fascinated me and that I happened to be good at. So don't ask me how I discovered that because that was quite a journey. But Essentially, in 2014, after a, a long period of study, because it's, it's about eight years full time to become a clinical psychologist, I actually decided to open my own practice, just by myself. And so I started with a tiny room and just myself and an EPOS machine and a Medicare swipe card thing. And you know what? Within three months, I had 300 GPs referring to me Within 18 months, I had had 10,000 appointments, wow. all from people suffering with anxiety or related conditions. And clearly, I, wasn't, I was no longer by myself. I needed to rally some troops to help me. And so now, just, just on four years later, I have three clinics 
And even just this year, there has been 2,000 appointments come through those clinics for people suffering with mental health issues, issues with their soul health. I've just opened a clinic in Como because there was a lot of people south of the river driving up north of the river. And you know what? It is actually one of my favourite things to do is to help people with their mental health. So that's a little something about me. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I also want to encourage you this morning because when the government write us out the mental health strategy, they, they prepare a mental health strategy and they send it to our psychologists about what they're going to do to help with this mental health epidemic, you might say. And uh, in that mental health strategy, I'm nerdy enough to read it. Um, they say in there that they're actually going to cut funding to the public mental health system and that they recommend that us psychologists detour people through places like the local church, libraries and sporting facilities to help people act, belong, commit. And, you know, when I read that, I thought to myself, churches? You know, it was a bit of a mystery to me. Like, what are, oh, are the churches ready? And so to see a morning like this happen in a church community where you would open it up and talk about health and well-being, <coughs> fantastic. That really excites me. So thank you for having me today. So... I want to talk to you about soul health. Before I do, how about you just turn to the person alongside you and just give them a brief definition of what you think is meant by the term soul. What is the soul? How about you turn to someone and work that out together? Okay. Oh, I can hear the cogs ticking already. I remember watching a little clip of Oprah talking about the soul and she described it as a big ship being followed by little ships. And I thought, Oprah? What? <laughs> so you know what? The definition that we are working with this morning of what is soul health, the soul, I'm referring to your mind, your will, your ability to choose, and your emotions. So your thinking, your choosing, and your feeling. Okay. This morning on your chairs, you would have got a card, and I'm going to refer to this a little bit, because soul health... <coughs> You know, a lot of people ask me, what, what are the signs that my soul is unhealthy? And what do I do about it? And so, you know what? There's many signs. But I've written down for you this morning the main ones. And so I'm going to go through them this morning. But I want it to be quite interactive. And I want you to be able to write down questions and, and you know, to, for our question and answer time. So I'm going to scoot through these. What is a sign that my soul is unhealthy? You know, one of the key signs is, first one, when your soul cannot remember how to or connect with a safe place. So your soul, your mind, will and emotions is designed to be anchored 
it's designed to have sort of a, a safe place, a, a place to call home, I suppose. It's designed to have like an optimal environment for you to be able to, to recover or to find comfort. Um, universally, across various secular and research disciplines, humanity is observed to respond to nature and water and breath and intimacy and researched spirituality. So in research, it is actually, there is a space in the brain that comes to life that we can see on a scanner when someone is connected to a loving God, a compassionate God. Mm. Not a punishing God, not a neutral God, but a compassionate God. How fascinating. So how about you turn to the person alongside you and just share with them briefly, where is your safe place? Is it the beach? Is it your car? <laughs> Very good. Did anyone say the beach? Yeah, beach, beach, beach. Anyone else just in nature? Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Yeah, very good. Okay, so point number two. You ready? Your soul can be unhealthy, not in a good place. When it's in anguish, it can't find peace. So, you know, we can become very unsettled and um, dysregulated. And then it becomes hard to sleep or rest, like actually quite literally hard to sleep, hard to find rest, hard to switch off. Your soul recovers when it stays surrendered, where we are so independent and there's so many things vying for our attention, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. We don't really ask for help too in our culture. It's just not something that we like to do. Um, we want to do things on our own and sort it out on our own. And yet, mindfulness, rest, and surrender are key. You know, I won't get too nerdy, but just fan if I start to get too nerdy. <laughs> In the brain, there's a, there's a network of cells called the default mode network. And as you're busy, busy, busy every single day taking in data, the default mode network sort of stores all the energy that is used in those processing and thinking and reasoning and you know if you think of a twitter feed and like every second there's something that flashes before you and it's all that energy is stored in the brain in this default mode network it's like a dome over the brain and you know what 16 minutes a day of rest and deep thought actually helps the brain process all that energy and sort of file it away to its rightful place. You know, there is, we are designed to be able to come and we need to be able to come to a place of rest for good brain health, soul health. Interesting, huh? Okay, the next thing. 
How do I know my soul is unhealthy? When you are unable to maintain your responsibilities, okay, your soul needs purpose. And we've already heard that this morning. Work, your labour, your responsibilities are good for the soul. And, you know, we've all been sort of purposed with something to tend and keep. And that is different for each and every one and perhaps that sense of purpose or that sense of why differs for all of us. But actually, to have a healthy soul, you need to have that sense of purpose, that thing that you tend and keep to maintain your responsibilities. It's good, hey? Okay, next one. All right, unhealthy. When your soul has no restraint or boundaries, emotional boundaries, physical boundaries, spiritual boundaries. You know, the word no is one of the most powerful words for the human soul. You know, we, we, our soul recovers, actually, when it has restriction, when it has boundaries. Perhaps you should turn to the person alongside you and just name the thing that you are saying no to currently. What are you saying no to? Interesting. Next one. Our soul can be showing signs of being unhealthy when you're struggling in your relationships. Typically withdrawing or becoming isolated. You know what? We're actually designed to be in connection with others. That's been a theme this morning too, hasn't it? And your soul recovers when it is surrounded, when you are journeying life with others. And um, there is always someone that's good for the soul. I don't know about you, but for me, there are just those, one or two, that is just good for my soul. And I have a big laugh or, you know, I just feel like I can be myself. And to be surrounded and to journey life with and to be in connection is so important for your mental health and well-being, for your soul health. Yeah. Okay, last one. These are the top ones, my favourite ones. My soul is unhealthy. Okay, our soul is unhealthy when our thinking, choosing and feeling are significantly interfering with our well-being. When you feel like your soul has lost its anchor, and you know these responses can actually be a normal reaction to stress, to grief, to trauma. While they can be uncomfortable and painful, they're not necessarily a sign of ill health. And yet, 
if someone is suffering with their mind, will and emotions, with their thinking, feeling and choosing, there is hope that interacts with observable science, is what I've discovered. And you know what? As you've heard this morning, but what I find is when I, when I do this public speaking, I, I usually find there's about 30% of people in a crowd that won't know this information. And I'm just going to reiterate it again. You can go to your GP and discuss you, with your GP your concerns, your concerns regarding your soul health, your mind, your will, your emotions, your ability to think and choose and in your emotional world. And you can activate a mental health care plan which means if your GP appraises you as being qualifying for one, you can have 10 sessions in a calendar year with a psychologist or a clinical psychologist that can help restore health to your soul realm. There's 10 group sessions that you can have. There's some other sessions, you know, like, like we've already heard, gut health and so on, they're all linked in. And there's sessions that you can activate and on, through Medicare, for example. And you know what? Why don't you just turn to the person alongside <coughs> you and let them know whether you knew that or not before today. You know, share that. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> who knew that? Yeah. Okay, so who didn't know that? There we go. I'm so glad we're telling you this morning. But you know what? To be honest, going to a psychologist isn't actually the most popular thing that people like to do. I'm careful about who I share that information with. I, we know when you're at a party and you're all talking, what do you do for work? I'm a psychologist. <laughs> Kills the room. <laughs> so do you know what, though? It's actually not what you think it is. We don't sort of make you lay out on a couch and do the strange things for years and years. <laughs> There's no stretch. There's no... Soy? Soy sauce? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's very similar at first to going to a GP in that we're super nerdy and focused on brain and brain health, but actually, in about 70% of cases, someone has gotten a mental health condition because of some anomaly with their biology. So certainly when I see patients, the first thing I do is sort biology. And I find that when we sort biology and we look at biology, what I mean is, um, you know, hormones, thyroid, iron, vitamin B, vitamin D, you know, looking at genetic and genetic presentation, the epigenetics, like the doctor told us earlier, looking at sleep, looking at appetite, gut health, nutrition, <coughs> looking at sex drive, looking at the way your body has biologically stored trauma. There's a way that your brain deals with that information in a mechanical way. And there's so many tips and tricks to bring biology back to its created order that I usually find that when we get the biology right, the mental health, 
the spiritual connection, the finding your why, some of the psychological things that come in, the stress, the problem thinking, you know, the finding your purpose, actually, you know, any loss experiences, etc., etc. They actually quite easily fall back into line, come back to their created order when we bring those two together in a holistic way. They are my hot tips. Why don't we thank Michelle? We've got about 10 minutes of QA and um, got some questions in my hot little hand. And uh, this was probably more of. Yeah, to start things off, go on on the whole idea of um, going to see a psychologist. Can you just talk through how to find a, a good fit, I guess, for a psychologist? And what happens if there's no good fit for you? What, what happens from there? What should we do with that? Very good question. I wasn't expecting you to ask that question. <laughs> um, you know what? It is very important that you feel essentially safe. So actually, if you're going to sort of unpack whether that's your biology or your psychology and anything else in between, that you actually do feel like the person that's sitting alongside you, you can work together because it's a collaborative thing. And you know what? Sometimes there's not a good fit. And certainly, um, at the moment, I've got 15 uh, psychologists and doctors, uh, doctors of psychology that work alongside me. And one of the things I insist upon with our team is for them to make sure they have the good fit and take responsibility for that good fit. And if not, making sure the person gets a better fit. So often it's actually, the per in my opinion, it's the doctor's responsibility to make sure that you are connecting with the goals and the treatment planning. It's tailored to your needs. It's not as if you come to see a psychologist and it's all about what I think should happen. <laughs> we actually sit with you and work out what are the top things that you need and it's all about what you need in your order. And if you feel like that's not happening, then there needs to be a change with that. Mm. Love that. Cool. <coughs> Next question. What are some practical ways to deal with low self-esteem and negative thoughts? Oh, yeah. Very good. Okay, so essentially, there's two things there, the negative thoughts and then there's the low self-esteem. The low self-esteem part means rewinding and going through your timeline and working out when and how you started to receive early messages that then your brain has absorbed and you've taken on as the truth about you or the facts about you. And actually, our brain takes in data for a num from a number of different sources. The media, the school, our friends, our family, etc., etc. And so, as their brain takes in that information, it stores it like an instruction that must be obeyed. Like the brain's a faithful servant. You know, data in, it, it's a faithful servant. It takes that instruction and it holds it for you. And then it replays back through the day and night for you. And sometimes we don't ever think to question that. Self-esteem and self-esteem issues come into that space where we've taken in instruction or truths about us that then don't work for us very well. Okay, so we need to go and do some work there. 
the negative thought path. Actually, there is a way for you to learn how to manage your thought life. Managing thought life isn't something that you can just go to a psychologist to learn. In fact, if you go to a leadership, you do a master's in leadership and management, or you know an MBA or MLM, anything like that, you will learn skills about how to manage your thought life. Managing thought life is quite quite an easy skill to learn, and I think it's a really important one. It's as important as sort of learning how to cook, <laughs> learning how to budget. It's one of those life skills. They are considering bringing it into the Year 11 and 12 curriculum so that we can get in early of teaching people how to manage their thought life. Mm. Just because a brain, a brain's designed to think and yeah. lots of ideas, doesn't mean we listen to them all. Mm. But actually, if you don't have those skills, you can learn them. Yeah. Would you say, just following up with that, the self-esteem thinking back and going through your life, that can actually, for some people, be extremely dangerous, if you will. Should that be done in isolation? Should that be done with professionals or friends? What would your recommendation be? Yeah, you know what? It depends how sensitive it is for you. So when we take in information across our lifespan, for some of us, you know, and depending on a lot of circumstances, um, and, and the context, I suppose. That information can be stored in the brain and can be very sensitive. Like it almost replays all the time. It's like the brain hasn't quite figured out how to file it away yet. And I would say in those circumstances, particularly if there has been like a history of trauma or interpersonal difficulty or repetitious negativity and oppression, unreasonable oppression, then you wouldn't just go and DIY. You know, it's not a do-it-yourself do kind of thing. Mm. It's something that's to be facilitated with safety. And, and sometimes people run into trouble when they just sort of grab the person alongside them. It's like me going and asking you to fill my hole in my tooth. I just probably wouldn't do it. You know, you might have some dental skills, but I just wouldn't do that. I would go to the professional yeah. that knew how to fill that hole in my tooth. Same with these kind of areas. If it's sensitive and it's got a little bit of nervous system activation to yeah, right. it, you wouldn't. You yeah. wouldn't just get anyone to do that. Very cool. Um, I like this question, and this could be our last one. Um, but regarding restraint for the soul, society views freedom as having no restraint and living in the moment. And so you've spoken about how our souls need restrictions and boundaries. Yeah, I think I, I actually relate to that question in thinking about people and, and there's a sense of, you know, if I can just do whatever I want to do in the moment when I want, that's good for me. How would you relate to that? Sure. <coughs> You know, in terms of humanity, we're not coping very well with all the options. Right. And we're not coping very well, it would appear, with this steady stream of options. There's an array, there's so much available just at our fingertips. And it makes, it gives us option, which can be seen as a good thing with our culture, our popular culture, loves the array of options. And yet in terms of our humanity, and our biology, we don't, we're not coping. <coughs> you know, like the doctor said earlier, there's an epidemic of stress-related illness. Mm. There's an epidemic of anxiety, nervous system activation. There's an epidemic of, you know, 
associated conditions that we're not, our humanity is not coping with. And so therefore, restriction and having boundaries, you know, and, and part of that is being able to be in the moment. There's important things about being able to stay in the moment, but that doesn't mean like a free, you know, like without boundaries option. Does that make sense? There's a differentiation there. So with boundaries, how do you decide what boundaries to keep that are healthy <coughs> and boundaries that are unhealthy? Is there a difference or that just having any boundaries are good? No, you know, we're all different. And that's, that's one of the, I guess, the harder things about being a psychologist is that every single person is different. So you can't do this sort of treatment plan that's a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. So actually, for each of us, there's like a unique factors that come and they all interplay and intertwine. And certainly at the clinics that I run with the doctors that I have there, we individually tailor make an individual plan for every single person that comes because it really is about what's significant for that person's life and what brings health and wholeness and restoration to that person's life will be different to this person's life. So it can't be a prescriptive thing that we say, that's it, no phones before bed, you know. Although it's probably, you know, there's a technology thing that we're learning about there. But you know what I'm saying, like we can't just inflict that on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's slightly different. Mm. So it's kind of working out with a person yeah. what their vision, their direction, their values are. Where the unique, what their unique needs are and yeah. why. And yeah. then formulating those boundaries around yeah. that. Fantastic. Isn't that great? That's great. Why don't we thank Rochelle for coming this morning. Our time is up. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.